The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. I'm your host, Erin Marlowe, and each week I'm joined by a panel of guests to discuss all things fandom and pop culture, primarily from a female perspective. You'll find everything from fanfic to cosplay to Schitt's Creek to Supernatural and everything in between. So put on your favorite piece of fandom merch, set aside that fanfic that you're writing about your OTP, and sit back and enjoy this week's episode. And welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. On this episode, Carla is joining me for, it's not really a solo panel because there's another person here. So it's not really a double panel. Sounds really weird. <laughs> this is starting out great, everybody. I don't know what um, you're talking about. Like, it's just you and your co-host just chatting yes, it up like we do. That's what it should be. Yes, yes. So hello and welcome to this episode of It's a Fandom Thing. My new co-host, Carla. Yes, that's right. I have a co-host now. <laughs> Although, you know, what's really sad is after next week, you're not going to be on for a week or two, I think. I was like, oh, wait, she's not going to be on for a week or two. So <laughs> my co-host is abandoning me. co-host <laughs> is taking a hiatus. A hiatus, yes. Yes, she's taking a brief hiatus. But she's going to be here for this episode, and then next week she's going to be on our American Psycho episode. So, yes, yes, awesome. Okay, so, but before Carla tells me what she's into right now, other than being my co-host, <laughs> um, <laughs> just a couple of quick housekeeping notes. We are, of course, taking listener support for as little as 99 cents a month to nine ninety nine a month. If you'd like to support the show and support one Black Lives Matter organization and one Stop Asian Hate organization per month, head on over to our anchor page and click listener support there or click listener support in the show notes. And also, like I mentioned on our last episode, we are going to be changing it up some and have like rewards, you know, or perks, I should say, that you'll get for being a monthly donor. Um, anchor is a little bit different. Then Patreon, as far as like, I can't really set it up in there. I have to sort of list it out. So we'll be listing out on social media, announcing it on here. So stay stay tuned for that'll be probably the first announcement will be on our BDSM episode. So look for that on April 7th, Wednesday, April 7th. Okay. And oh, and then also almost forgot our Redbubble store. So if you need some, it's a fandom thing pod merch, head on over there. And of course, 50% of what we see from that also goes to one Black Lives Matter organization and one Stop Asian Hate organization. Okay. So Carla, tell me what you're into right now. I am into and also mourning the end of Superstore. It's a show that I don't think gets enough attention and it just kind of you know, it was a reliably funny and just kind of their show that people didn't seem to get into or behind as much as I feel like they should have. Like, where were you, everybody, who who missed this marvel of a show? 
but it was it was such a hilarious, sweet, funny show that I just I, I loved so much. And I didn't realize how much I was going to miss it until I watched the finale this past week. And basically, like, Meg and I are messaging each other back and forth, like, just crying face emoji, <laughs> like, for hours. And I have to commend her for being an awesome friend because I didn't get to watch it in real time. So when she was watching it and messaging me, it was just emoji. And she that's what she contained all of her feelings <laughs> to. And so the next day, I'm, I'm messaging her all of my reactions. And then, you know, we're going back and forth with the cry faces. And she's like, so now you understand how hard it was for me last night when I was trying to, you know, not have a, a verbal breakdown. I was like, I get it. Thank you so much. You're a saint. <laughs> and listeners, Meg then posted and said, hey, it's a fandom thing. When are you going to have Carla and I on to discuss Superstore? And in all honesty, this was one in my mind because last year I, I, I'm behind a season and a half. But last year I binged this show and I thought nobody I knew watched it. And then I found out people I knew did watch it. And I had been thinking about putting it on the schedule and it just wasn't on there. But now it's going to be on there. So look for that actually in August. It's going to be squeezed in there. So, yeah. So <laughs> I'm glad to hear that we didn't that it wasn't strictly us bullying you into it. So now I feel less bad about it. No, there's not much I'll say no to at all, but it's just, I mean, our schedule is packed, it filled is to the brim. <laughs> so, yes. so yes, but I love Meg and Carla, so I was like, okay, I will gift them this, and then that will make me finish the show. <laughs> so. It was a, a wonderful gift, and we are so grateful, because <laughs> you know us, you know how we get. Yes, <laughs> but it was that was awesome, that was funny. Um, but so look out, so look out, listen, keep an ear out unless maybe, maybe it'll be one of our YouTube episodes. Ooh, hey, you never know. Cool. It could be a YouTube episode. So, Hey, maybe do keep an eye out for that. Special <laughs> <episode>. <laughs> this is going to be a really goofy episode. I can already tell. Um, well, it is just Carla and I, and that's usually what happens when it's just, yeah, Carla. we just kind of devolve into fits. <laughs> yeah. Um, but this is Aaron, and what I'm into is there is a documentary that you can rent on video on demand called Stray, and it's all about in in Turkey um, they have outlawed both the capture and um, the euthanization of stray dogs. So there are hundreds of stray dogs um, that just roam the streets, and it, so this follows a few of the stray dogs. And especially Zaytan is the Zaytan is the main one that it follows, but it also follows like this other one, Nazar, and this other one, Cartel, who's a shy little puppy who is just the cutest little puppy in the whole world. But if you love dogs, I highly recommend this. I think it's also very telling um, about humanity because and humans and and the way we treat each other and the way we treat animals and um it also follows a lot of young like i would say they're probably in their early 20s late teens um homeless youth as well who basically you know they they take care of the dogs too and they take the dogs in so it follows them as well uh, but it's just a very interesting little documentary and especially if you love dogs you have to watch it yes it'll probably make you cry but it's it's just it's really really good. Okay, so let's get into girlfriends. So first off, I like that little 
<laughs> my little excited shimmy. <laughs> I've had the theme song stuck in my head all week. I just want to say, <laughs> I didn't put that on the outline because I was because I was like, eh, it's we don't have to get into that one as deep as the other ones, well, that we, no, unless you it, want to. <laughs> no, I, I do want to mention something, but it's one of those things where like, should I? Because it's not a nice thing, and it's just that you know, in, in all of these shows that we've discussed recently, that have these. Um, epic theme songs that just get stuck in your head like this one gets stuck in my head against my will because it's yes. not one of the best theme songs <laughs> it's not like the one from a different world where it's oh, it's Aretha Franklin and she's belting it <laughs> this one's just like my girlfriends <laughs> thick and thin. it's not a good theme song like I skip it every single time and I'm not even yeah. sorry it's not even that long it's like what like 15 seconds I'm like nope <laughs> I know. No, I'm the same way with it. And that's why it's so frustrating that it's been stuck in my head because I'll wake up and it'll be in there. It was like when I had Stay by Lisa Loeb stuck in my head forever. And I would literally wake up and it would be in my head and I'd be singing it. And it's the same thing with this one. And I was and finally the Stay song got out of my head after I had tweeted out, you know, how much do I have to pay to have my brain not be hostage by this song? held hostage so that one finally got in my head and now this one's in there i'm like oh i'd rather have something else that's that's just like a lateral move yeah yeah i mean it's like okay (laughs) i think they kind of conspired together and went (laughs) you thought you were free yeah no let's put in another one yeah okay so let's get into the show and what are your some of your favorite episodes I have so many favorite episodes. And listen, like this show I watched when it was first on and I was fresh out of college and, you know, looking for, for a job and kind of like aimlessly thrift, drifting through life. Um, so I started watching this and it was really cool, just an aspirational in a way, seeing these women who were in their, um, in their, is it upper nine, uh, 20s? What is it called? Upper 20s? Yeah, upper 20s. And then because I know at the end, she's like towards the end. um, Is it Jones like 35, right? That's what it is. Late 20s, not upper 20s. Oh, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) I thought you were just trying to think of the age. No. (laughs) I'm like upper 20s. Yeah, upper 20s. (laughs) I'm just trying to think of the words. I'm like, it doesn't sound like upper, but let's go with it. (laughs) I think that works. So yes, they're late upper 20s and Joan is, you know, 29 when the show starts and her friends are basically the same age as her and Maya, her assistant. Um, I don't think we know her age at that point, but these are women who all have something going on except for Lynn. Her thing that she has going on is being a mooch. Um, But I was just really drawn in by how just unapologetically fabulous all of them are. They're just unapologetically black and living their lives and uh they have all of these dreams and and illusions and and it it was just really nice to see a show that was like sex in the city but for for non-white people (laughs) and you know you have lynn being a biracial woman and the word biracial has always been super weird to me because it's like that's just so limiting. And also, anyway, we're not here to talk about my existential drama. But I, I really identified with Lynn 
in a lot of ways, except for the the mooching that was just very weird to me. Um, so one of the things that I remember from from the first season was when he would suddenly stop the action and then Joan would look into the camera and like talk to you and how simultaneously hilarious and then very quickly grating it became. And I was so relieved that they did away with that soon after um, the first season. And so as far as my favorite episodes, though, the one that... uh, And it's just like this one moment in one episode. Because the rest of the episode is just okay. But the, the one where Joan is trying to teach William how to dance... And so she has like the the leg warmers and the Jane Fonda gear and like the headband, and she's doing the shimmy shimmy cocoa puff, shimmy shimmy cocoa puff, like really aggressively. Like you have to like really throw your pelvis in there. And William is just not doing it right. And I think he only does one shimmy. It's like shimmy cocoa puff. No, William, <laughs> two shimmies. Like this was me yelling at him through the screen. Um, another one that I really. Well, there's are, there's are so many, but when when Tony realizes that she's in, in love with Todd, because she decides, oh, I know the best way to get over this man that I don't want to be falling for. So I'm going to sleep with him, and then I'll be I'll be over him, and so they sleep together. Smart thinking. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yes, clearly this is genius level thinking. She should have she should have been the one to write the book, not Maya. Um, <laughs> And she looks over at Todd and she's like looking at him so lovingly and it's like, oh, she's gone. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's no remedy here. Um, the 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 one the one who said I'll actually remember, which is called Sister Sister, when Lynn's um, adoptive sister comes to town and she is, you know, she she's she's a white woman, Lynn's sister, and she's wearing her hair in dreads with like um like an African cloth and she's talking like in the most affected quote unquote, uh, quote, quote unquote, black scent and calling all of these women not black enough. She's like, I'm more black than you are. And it's like, uh, not possible. And it was one of my first introductions into seeing how to deal with somebody who is like that and how to call them out on, on that kind of behavior and to basically say, look, you're hurting me personally by adopting this caricature of who you think I am, where, you know, if we both go up for a job interview and you switch into, you know, white speak, you're going to be the one to get hired regardless of how we're each qualified because even if we're like in everything else, you're white. It's like you don't you don't get because she uses the the N word, and that's where everybody's like, no, we're done with you. Um, one in season eight, where after Maya loses her baby, and Darnell is having a really hard time coping with it, and neither one of them is really communicating effectively with each other at this point. There, um, Maya isn't dealing with her feelings and she's not realizing how Darnell is feeling. Um, and so they, they both have this big talk about it and Darnell finally feels free to cry and to mourn this loss. 
And it's one of those those things where you I say that a lot, one of those things where we all have that. So. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, deep realizations with Carla. <laughs> oh. But yeah, so it's a moment where you see people really struggling with something heartbreaking and there's a lot of talk about you know black strength and you know strong black woman and what that means and you know black man has to be strong but people are people and they're allowed to mourn they're allowed to it doesn't matter your race you're allowed to have your feelings and to be able to express them and that episode really gave a beautiful opportunity for that to be portrayed on screen. And that was a really touching point in episode. And um, there were just so many more, Aaron, there were just so many more. It, it's a really great show. And it has like so many amazing magical moments. The, the, there's one that stays in my mind only because it's so over the top. And I was actually laughing during this very, um, the scene that when I first watched it had me kind of weeping because I was like, oh, this friendship is so important to everybody. And that's when Joan is in church and she gets ambushed by the other three because she and Tony are a bit estranged. So Maya and Lynn decide to bring Tony to the church so that Tony can um, basically throw herself at Joan's feet someplace where she can't kill her because she's not going to kill somebody in church. And Joan says, no, I'm not ready to talk to you about this. Leave me alone. I'm just here to be in church by myself. Which I thought was great boundary setting. And I thought it was really mm -hmm. ridiculous that, that these people came and invaded her her space while she's just trying to get some worshiping done. And then there's like this very dramatic moment with the, the pastor singing with the choir, a song about, you know, forgiveness and, you know, if, if a man stumbles seven times and um, is he not allowed to to stumble, just, you know, you're just a human and, you know, the forgiveness is so important and, you know, come up to the to the altar if you feel like like you need to make amends with the Lord. And then Tony starts weeping and she's walking towards the front and then Joan's weeping and she gets up and she walks towards the front and then they hold hands and there's this big church song and it is so over the top and dramatic. And I'm just, you know, watching it these past couple of weeks when I was like just binging the whole show. And I'm just laughing. And not so much at the show, but remembering how I reacted the first time that I watched it. And I was like crying. I was like, ah, I love them so much. They're reconciling under God's eyes. And now I'm sitting, you know, like. 42 year old me is looking back at a 22 year old me and being like, you were a fool. What is wrong with you? <laughs> Get it together. <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> yeah. I, th I think that happens a lot with shows that we watched when we were in our twenties. <laughs> it's like, yeah. And late teens and stuff. And you look back and you're like, this made me cry. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, you know, if, if I went back and rewatched Dawson's Creek, I would feel that a lot. <laughs> Oh, I've been re-watching Dawson's Creek off and on for a while, and I've been feeling that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's like, you know, you look back at yourself in your 20s, and you're like, where was that emotion coming from? Like, there was just so much of it. 
Oh, I know. I know. Well, I think it's because you're, you're at that point where you're just becoming an adult. You're just considered an adult and you're learning what that means and you're on your own and you're taking care of yourself. And so there's the emotions involved in that and you're trying to find your place and your friendships kind of change, you know, and you, you're usually not always friends necessarily with people you were friends with before. And so I think that's a lot of what it is. So it's kind of, you're just finding your place and you're, you're trying to fit in. And, um, you know, I would, I would not actually want to go back to my twenties. That's what's so weird is I kind of try to think about that. And I'm like, I had a lot of fun and I miss being able to, you know, I miss going out dancing and that kind of stuff. Um, but I could still do that, but it's not the same. I mean, I get tired. Easily <laughs> well, I'm just sitting here thinking to myself, I think pretty much the only thing that I would want to have back for my twenties were needs that worked. Yeah. Yeah. That would be, yeah. Not to <laughs> that wake would up be really all. awesome. <laughs> yeah. Like today my, my son was doing a magic trick and he's like, he wanted me to be his assistant and he wanted me to get like, he wanted me to craft. I was like, mommy doesn't do that. <laughs> Well, we can't no. do that. <laughs> well, we can't do that. <laughs> yeah, it's like um, it's like I feel so old now with technology, and I never used to feel that way because I'm the one. Like my mom will still she'll call me and she'll be like, "Why is this happening? Can you tell me why this is happening on my you know on you know her streaming? She's trying to stream stuff, and usually I can help with her stuff, but it's like like me you know this week I've been running our Instagram account because Aaron is on, because the other Aaron is on vacation. And I know we have not gotten as much interaction as we do when she does it. I know it because I can tell because I always follow when she does it compared to when I'm doing it. And I'm like, what am I doing different or wrong? And I don't really quite get, like, I'm trying to do like the cool stories and it's just not working. And like, with Twitter now, you can do that fleeting thing, you know, where you yes. fleet and stuff. And I do not understand it. I do it, but I'm like... There's no point to the fleeting. There isn't, because you can't really... Unless I'm missing something, you can't, like, put GIFs in there or stickers or music or anything like that like you can with right. Instagram. I mean, you know yeah. what? Somebody probably can, and it's not us. <laughs> <laughs> if you can, let us know. <laughs> if we know like, how to Twitter... My... Yeah, because I feel okay at Twitter. I feel like I'm pretty good at Twitter, but Instagram, I don't, I don't understand why Instagram confuses me because like I said, I have three Instagram accounts. So it's not like <laughs> I have my personal one, the podcast one, and I have one for my dog Schroeder and I'm not getting rid of that one. My dog uh, passed away in November, but I just, I can't get rid of that account, but it's just like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> That's why I'm glad Aaron handles it usually. <laughs> Like I'm the social media for for Megs and my podcast, and with Instagram, I'm like, forget it. I don't care. <laughs> but the thing I've learned is that where you that's where you will get more traction. That's where you'll get more notices on Instagram and that's not on bananas. Twitter. I know, but that's where because like the second Aaron took over, like I said, it was like the impressions, and it doesn't even matter because some people don't like the stuff or whatever, but. People that watch it, people that look at your stuff, the people that go to your website, all that kind of stuff just goes up exponentially if you're using Instagram. I don't know what it is about Instagram, but... Ugh, so basically what you're saying is I'm going to have to learn to Instagram. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Sorry. That's is why there anybody, like, like under the age of 30 who has the time and the will to do this for me? Because <laughs> I have neither. 
I know I was so lucky to get Erin because yeah. she's so good at it and she's like really good at doing a lot of those things and I feel so stupid because I just I'm like I should know this stuff. It's not that complicated. That's like I got a TikTok account for <laughs> and I I've never I used it a couple times because it confuses me. I don't understand. I'm like, when is my space my space making a comeback? <laughs> Thank you. Can we just bring that one back? Because that one I totally got. <laughs> Man, we went on a total <laughs> This is the way we do our episodes, though. This is the way our episodes run when it's just you and I. We talk about um, nothing and then remember that we're supposed to be talking about something else. Like, oh, right, right, right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're talking about girlfriends. Well, no, it kind of fit because we were talking about the 20, your 20s. So, yeah, it worked. And plus, this show was out when we were younger and we, we knew things. 20s. And yeah, we were yes. hip. We were hip. We, we were up hip. with the hip lingo. That the Again, MySpace. <laughs> we could work yeah. out in the twenties. Oh man, yeah, MySpace was. Yeah, that was that was it, man. I mean, because you could create your own songs on your your yes. like your song. That was the. How, although it would be yeah, really was... annoying if you hated someone's song and you were on their. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. And then it, some people had like really obnoxious graphics. Yes, like uh-huh. the glitter. <laughs> And the sparkle and the light. I was mm-hmm. like, no, maybe I was too old for MySpace too. <laughs> Can we take it back to like the days of Napster? Can we go back that Napster? far? <laughs> or AOL. I was going to say AIM, AOL Instant Messenger. Yeah, that was my jam. Or, you know, when, when you that magic sound when you turn it on, you've got mail. <laughs> like, yes, I've got mail. <laughs> Those were the days. <laughs> yep. Okay, so back to girlfriends. <laughs> um, for me, I'm just going to mention some moments and stuff instead of actual episodes necessarily. But I love, I think it was in the first season when um, Jane was staying behind and she was going to have her own Thanksgiving where she was going to be all alone. And um, what? Joan. I said Joan. Didn't it's I say Jane. Joan? I said Jane. Oh, my God. <laughs> I said that. Sorry. Okay, I'll go back. I did. I did have a lot to drink last night. Everybody. I feel like there's a a, a half life on how long you can blame the drinkies. (laughs) Well, I'm. Well, it hasn't been 24 hours yet, so I think it's (laughs) perfectly valid. Please continue. Remember, I'm not young anymore. I mean, I am young. I am. I am young. Never mind. What am I talking about? I'm young. Things differently from than in your twenties. We understand. (laughs) Yes. Anyway, so Joan, (laughs) the episode. I think it was in season one where she was celebrating Thanksgiving alone, and everybody had left. I don't remember. And then all of a sudden, everybody started coming back, and she was. I can't remember his name. Um, he was the. Oh, who was that? He was just. I think he was just in that episode, but he was friends with. I'm not remembering anybody's name now. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but he was. He was an attorney that she had like this huge crush on. Like he was this big shot attorney, and she was oh. taking him back to cook. And she said she was going to fry the turkey. <laughs> she had no right. idea what she was doing. She knew what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Like she was going to use like a um, a huge, um, you know, what are those cast iron skillet? And that she was going to use that to fry a turkey, which no honestly sounds like something I would do. Because <laughs> I do not know how to cook very well. So that sounds like something I'd be like, this sounds like a good idea. <laughs> 
sure this would work. That's how you fry turkeys. Totally. Yeah, but I don't know. There was something about that episode that was really funny and amusing to me. Um, I also really liked the episode uh, where um, Maya, when she was going to be renewing her vows, and um, Joan was taking over and, like, basically wanting to control everything, which is a big thing that she wants to do all the time. And there was the whole thing about talking about how she, you know, it was a whole thing about class and how she how um Maya felt like she was looking down on her and down on her family and I just thought that was a really good episode because I think some of my favorite episodes are always when there's a serious tone underneath there um because it's me but anytime where their friendship there's any kind of test to their friendship it's not like I want them to not be friends it's just more the deeper levels and when you see, you know, their struggles, because Joan seems on the surface like the most together person. But as the show goes on, she has some of her times where she's kind of fallen down and, you know, like the end of season six. And um, when she wakes up on that, like the hill and like the, yeah. And the, With the sprinklers. Yes, the sprinkler. And then her Porsche goes down. <laughs> goes down the hill and she's like throwing up and all that stuff. And she's not there for Tony again. And that's a big theme is with their friendship where Joan isn't there for Tony. Um, And then of course, sometimes when she's not there for other people. So I like those episodes a lot. Um, And even though I've said before, I hate public proposals. I think they're icky. They're gross. I do love the way Aaron proposed to Joan. I will say that, and I was rewatching that today, and I will say I kind of got teary-eyed. Because <laughs> it was lovely. It was so sweet, and it was so, it was like, he really knew her, and he knew this was something she'd want. Like, for me, if 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 a guy proposed to me that way, even though I loved it in this, I would be running for the hills. Because I'd be like, why did you bring all these people that I haven't seen in years? There's a reason I haven't seen these people in years. <laughs> but it fit for her. And she was so happy and so over the moon about it. And it was just so sweet. And um, it really showed that he wanted to make her happy. And even though I think it's an outdated tradition to kind of be like asking the father for permission, there was still something sweet about it. And I just really, really liked that. Um, I always like a lot of the episodes where, I mean, William's involved in all the episodes, of course, but I, I don't know. I like when he gets into any kind of trouble or I don't, I hate using the word hijinks because it's so overused, but that kind of stuff. I just think he's so funny and he's so funny without trying to be funny. And that's why he's so good. That's why the actor is so good. And he, of course, won some awards when this was on, um, through the, I think it was just through the NAACP, but I can't remember if he image awards, but I can't remember if he won anything else, but he's just so good. And watching him with um, the four friends is always really fun. Um, I do think that when it became just the three of them after season seven, there was something missing there. You could kind of feel that that something was missing there. I still liked yeah. it, but you know, and then of course, the season, the series finale, which wasn't supposed to be the series finale because of the writer's strike, it's like the worst way to end the series because there's no ending. There's no resolution. You don't know what's going to happen. It's just kind of, okay, oops, we're done. Yeah. 
and the thing is, like, you know, I, I would have wanted to see Tony come back even for just yeah mm-hmm. a final episode. But yeah, you're absolutely right. After season six, when the finale, the last you see of Tony is she's walking out of the courtroom with Maya and Lynn because Joan has just let her down in the worst way. Um, and you don't see anything of her afterwards. And it's really sad. I mean, like, I feel like um, considering that they knew the Jill Marie Jones wasn't returning, they could have written a better exit for, for Tony. Like that, that just really felt so, um, so uncooked. It's like, you have all of the ingredients and you're just kind of like, eat this. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't eat raw chicken. Fix it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's kind of like, um, it's kind of being petty in a way. And I don't know if that's why it was done that way, but it's kind of like, whatever you're leaving, we're not going to give you a, and I'm like, she's been there for six seasons. She's an integral part of the show. She's a very important character. And so it it was, it kind of felt so weird and um, awkward, especially with the way it was left with Tony and Jay and Joan. I almost did it again. I said, (laughs) Um, but the way it was left between them, because you know, that that scene where she walks into the courtroom when Joan walks in there after everybody's gone, it's just such a good scene because you see how she feels. You can see that weight on her and, like, she's like, oh, my God, I have screwed up everything and I'm just messing up everything in my life and I'm supposed to be the one with ha- having it all together and I'm supposed to be the one who's the reliable one and here I am letting everybody down. And I just thought that scene was so well done and and – uh, the performance was by um, by Tracy Ellis Ross was so good in that in that scene. Um, she's really good anyway, but she was so good in that scene just because there were so many layers there and so much self hatred too. I think she was yeah. so mad at herself, and so that's why it was so sad to then just all of a sudden you come back and you're like the next season and it's like okay, <laughs> Tony's just gone. Oh well, bye bye. Let's move on. Yeah, it was really but, yeah. weird. But I do wonder about that because the reason that Jo Marie Jones didn't come back, she just didn't want to stay on the show. She said, you know, um, I had a six season contract and just like shows will reevaluate you and your character to see if they want you to come back. I also reflected on my career and what I wanted. And she wanted to, to pursue other projects and to pursue films. And it just really felt like like they were saying, you don't want to be here. That's fine. We don't want you here anyway. Mm-hmm. And it was just, you know, kind of ridiculous. And like you said, it was petty. How do you let a quarter of your main characters just walk off into mm-hmm. the sunlight with nothing else? Like we don't, at least at that point, we don't know what's going to happen with her and, and Todd and the baby. We don't really get a resolution on anything. Like even if she had left angrily and just maybe you know she and Joan had a last spat and she walked off it would have been better than what we got mm-hmm. yeah and, I, and I'm trying to think of the other shows that I know I've seen that on other shows where a, a main character leaves and it's kind of this really um or like a even if they're not a main character but a character that's been there forever and then they get this really crappy send-off and they're treated like crap and it's and you can tell there was probably some behind the scenes things that led to that. And it's just like, get over it. Even if you don't, I mean, these, I mean, you have people that watch this show. So just get over your pettiness and just, 
you know, be professional and write about the character and put aside whatever feelings you have about the actor leaving. And it's not like she broke a contract. It's not like she did. She's allowed to, I mean, for an actor to stay and have to be in one role and be tied to that. And if say she was offered a movie role and it was a movie role she wanted and she wouldn't be able to take it depending on where it was shoot, when it was shooting and that kind of stuff. I mean, it's just natural, you know, whereas you'll have other shows where, you know, like the office, when mm-hmm. Michael leaves, that was like he got an amazing send off. Um, and I mean, that was probably a little bit different situation, but still, you know, it's like it can be done where you can yeah. lose a character and get a great send off. And sometimes the show just doesn't recover after that character's gone. Yeah. <laughs> like the office. And, and I feel <laughs> no, <laughs> absolute truth. And I feel like, in a way, that was part of what happened, you know, like because the ratings declined after z- season six particularly in, in eight. Um, and that's part of why we have that abrupt ending. The writer's strike happens. Their ratings are already in decline. And the one part where I'm like, this is questionable, is that they said that it was too expensive to resume yeah. the show. Mm-hmm. And I'll make go to hell. You know, if the writer's strike hadn't happened, you had enough budgeted to continue the show through its typical 22, 24 episodes. You could have done it. You just for some reason didn't feel like it anymore. Mm-hmm. And that was just incredibly awful to not only the show, but to the fans, because you really left people in the lurch. I mean, what kind of what the hell kind of ending was that? You know, that wasn't yeah, anywhere was, near a proper even, send up. It didn't even feel like a season finale, let alone right. a series finale. <laughs> right. And, you know, this is a show that has been good for you for eight years. And OK, it came over from the merger between WB and um UPN, UPN when they became CW but th- that was still what like two solid seasons that they gave the CW and they just ended like that just because they could and this after relegating them to like basically what, what became Black Knight on the CW where they just bunched together all of the shows featuring um, black characters mm-hmm. and put them all on one night I think it was like on a Saturday or a Sunday night yeah. like that was just really gross yeah, yeah, which, I mean, we could do a whole episode on how the problems with the CW. We should yeah. have to do an episode on that sometime, so. And I mean, a lot of the net. I'm not saying CW is the only network that has issues, because they all do. Yeah. <laughs> but we could definitely do an, an episode on that, yeah. Okay, well, let's dive into the characters. So let's first talk about Joan. Joan, not Jane, everybody. <laughs> Joan. <laughs> not Jane, not Jen. Yeah, not Jen, not Jessica. (laughs) (laughs) Joan. Joan. So what what are your thoughts on Joan, Carla? Joan Clayton, you know, watching the show back when I was watching it in my 20s, she was who I aspired to be. You know, she, she had this awesome career. She had great friends, this awesome house. I coveted that house so much because it was a gorgeous house. Um, and she really seemed on the surface to have it all together. And, you know, back then, because there were a lot of traits that she and I shared when I was in my 20s. And I'm not, this is not like, you know, in a good way, because Joan had so many issues. Um, and looking back on it now, I'm like, she's really self-absorbed. She's really a, a kind of a 
fair weather friend, but not when things are going well for her friends. When things are going well for her romantically, her friends don't matter anymore. Like they suddenly just cease to exist. And there were there were several times when she put random boys ahead of her friends. You know, for Tony's wedding, she's having this massive blowout with Ellis. And she's supposed to be in Montecito getting ready to be the maid of the maid of honor, one of the mm-hmm. bridesmaids for for Tony. And it's like three, four hours away from LA. But she goes she's driving like back and forth to and from Montecito to LA to start drama with Ellis. Mm-hmm. And then misses half of the things that Tony had planned. Now, mind you, Tony is, if you can believe it, even more selfish than Joan. But, <laughs> like, this is her wedding, and she's been her, her friend for 20-something years. You should be focusing on her and her wedding. You know, like, save your petty disputes with Ellis for later. He'll still be there. Um, but, yeah, it, it just comes up again and again. And... But despite all of that, you know, she's really, she's loving, she's sweet, she's accepting. Um, She really, she really does genuinely care about her friends. She tries so hard to protect them and to care for them. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of goodness in her um, when her self-centeredness doesn't really get in the way. But I just, I really felt like like she could have been a really great person once she got over herself and she certainly had she's very intelligent which I, I you know she's just amazingly bright because she she was great as a lawyer like the only thing keeping her from reaching a higher level was racism and sexism in the firm that she was working at because she absolutely deserved to have made senior partner and she didn't for reasons outside of her own control. Um, she went on to start her restaurant and she built that up. And, you know, I, I know it's a TV show, so they're allowed to succeed without really trying. But, it, you know, I'm still going to say restaurants are just notorious, notoriously yeah. hard <laughs> to succeed in. And she seemed to have, you know, like really hit it out of the ballpark with the J-spot. Um and she was also apparently an amazing party thrower, which... Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I loved... There was so much to love about her. Um, there, and there were just... I, I had really just looked up to her. So, yeah, like, even though, you know, me at my current age looks at her and is like, wow, that is not a role model. <laughs> 20 something year old me just really really appreciated her and, and and still I I think that there was a lot about Joan that I learned from and that informed my upper 20s and lower 30s <laughs> I think that's the way we should talk about <laughs> ages from now on uppers and the I lowers think so too yes Uppers and the downers. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I mean, I love Joan. I think she is very, um, very selfish. I think, and I think what it is, is I don't think she, 
ever means to be selfish. What it is is she kind of almost lives in a fantasy world sometimes where, you know, in the very first episode, you see that she was like, by this time, I'm supposed to be married and have kids and all of that. And I can re- I could relate to that then. Um, now my goals have shifted. But I know when I was in um, my 20s, it was very much like, uh, you know, I really did want to have children back then. I decided in my 30s, I was like, no, I shouldn't have children and I don't want to have children. It was a very personal and hard decision to make. But back then I did, I even had names picked out and I was very much, you know, I would get sad, honestly, sometimes when I would get my period, I'll be honest, it was this weird thing where I would feel this sense of sorrow or loss. And, um, and I know like I had friends that had kids really young and sometimes I would feel envious of that. Although now I, I'm sure I wouldn't feel that way, but then I did because it was kind of like I had my own idea of I was going to be married by this age and I was going to have my first kid by this age and I was going to have two kids and I was going to have a boy and a girl and then maybe you know it was this weird thing where I had everything set in my mind and then all of that changed so I understood that when she was saying that in the very first episode and talking about that and there's an episode where she thinks she's pregnant and then she's not pregnant. And I, that to me was something I could really relate to back then. Um, because like I said, I would seriously get sad sometimes when I would get my period, it was the weirdest thing. And I was like, why am I sad about this? You know, but it was this weird little sorrow loss thing. Um, but she has this thing of, since she's so in that fantasy world and so wrapped up in her goals of this is what my life is going to be like. She kind of forgets about everybody else along the way. And she is very much that friend that, because we've all had those friends that when a guy is in the picture, that guy takes over everything and nobody else matters anymore. It's just all about him and all about that relationship. Um, And it happens, you know, it happens to a lot of people. A lot of people view that, not just men, I mean, not just women, sorry, not just women, but men can do that too, where you get so wrapped up in your partner that you forget about everything else. And while, of course, there's always going to be a honeymoon phase in any relationship, sometimes it's not healthy to do that because if your whole world just revolves around them, that's that's an unhealthy dynamic. And I think with her, that's why a lot of her relationships didn't last because she was so wrapped up in the honeymoon phase and she couldn't deal with the reality afterwards. Like when she got engaged to Aaron and then the season premiere, very next episode, they're fighting and um, almost broken up because over a stove and also because she didn't respect him because he makes less money than her kind of thing. And so that's the way she, she wants that dream. She doesn't want the reality. So when the reality comes along, she doesn't know how to deal with the reality and then the way she is with her friends, um, especially Maya and I mean, Tony too, but I think Tony, like you said, Tony's selfish as well, but in a different way, but her relationship with Maya, I think is honestly a little bit more interesting just because she kind of deals, struggles a lot with her feelings of superiority to Maya and not just because Maya is her assistant but also because I think she thinks, you know, Maya had a kid really young and Maya doesn't have a lot of money and Maya doesn't live in the nice house that she lives in and all that kind of stuff. So, and I think she's also jealous of Maya also on an, on the other hand, because she's got her husband and she's got the kid and all of that stuff. And I mean, and there's also the scene with Tony after Tony gives birth and Tony's watching Joan with her child. And she's just like, 
don't turn into like a hand that rocks the cradle. Come on, (laughs) don't take my baby away from me. And that's kind of the way it is, is that she always is trying to covet what everybody else has. So then she misses when she has stuff that's great and wonderful right in front of her. So I think that's also how she ends up more than ones dating more than one guy. Yes. And Mm -hmm. the moment that one seems to be just like more of a fairy tale than the other, she's suddenly Mm -hmm. conflicted and then chooses the one who may not be better for her, but she just is like, well, this is more the fairy tale that I wanted. Exactly. You're making the wrong decisions for the wrong reasons. And what you were saying about Maya too, um, absolutely spot on because she simultaneously disdains and covets Maya's Mm -hmm. life. You know, it's like, why does this like trashy woman have all the things that I want? She has the husband, she has the child. You know, why don't I, when I'm so much clearly better? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's exactly that. And she would never outright say that unless it slipped up because sometimes she says stuff, you know. Um, but yeah, that's what's so interesting about her is is I love her. I think she's I, – I love watching her. And I think – I mean, Tracy Ellis Ross is just – she is so good. I mean, she's just so, so good. And her comedic timing is, uh, and she can do physical comedy too. That takes a lot. She can do really good physical comedy. She knows how to use her body really well. Um, And so she's so much fun to watch. And like, you know, I'm going to say again, go watch that movie, The High Note. Um, It Mm. should still be on HBO Max. And she's so good in that. And she's an incredibly talented singer, which I know, I know. She was gifted with the genes that she was gifted with, but still. <laughs> Doesn't take away from her talent. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but yeah, she's she's great to watch. But yeah, Joan is a great character. But I am glad they got rid of that breaking the fourth wall because that got so old. It got old like the second time it happened. <laughs> Honestly. I thought it was cute at first. And then I was like, oh, so we're going to just stick with this, huh? <laughs> Because it's just kind of, and the way that it would be filmed differently, you know, like her head would be out of whack with the rest of her body. And it was just so weird. And the little bubble. And I mean, sometimes when you break the fourth wall, it can be done really well and it can be interesting. Or like if you just throw it in, like there are some movies, for some reason I can't. Oh, my, one of my all-time favorite movies, Magnolia, the this is not really a spoiler, but the even though it's the last shot, it's still not really a spoiler. But the last <laughs> shot is one of the characters just looks at the camera. It's my favorite. Honestly, it's my favorite last shot of any movie in the world. And she just looks at the camera and looks at you, looks at the audience and smiles like a genuine smile. And it's the first time you've really ever seen this character smile in the whole entire movie. And it's just a great last shot. And that works because you want this character to be happy. I think really in the movie, this is the character you're supposed to be kind of following. And so when she does that and looks in the camera and smiles, it works really well. But I think with this, it was such a gimmick that it just got, they didn't know how to do it really well. And then I think they finally went, oh, wait, this isn't working. We got to, we got to nix this. Because like Malcolm in the Middle, they do it so well in that show. But Girlfriends could not pull it off. And it all, <laughs> frankly, it wasn't even necessary. You didn't really need that gimmick in mm-hmm. Girlfriends. You have four solid leading women and what for, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about Maya. Uh, what are your thoughts on Maya? Maya is my favorite. You know, when I was first watching it, she wasn't because I was snobby like like Joan. 
And so I had like a lot of really awful notions about Maya, but no, you know, rewatching it now, um, and even rewatching it even a few years ago, Maya is just such a fantastic person. She's probably the best, most consistent friend among the four of them. She tries so hard to be there for everybody, even though she has a lot going on in her own life. You know, she had all of the issues with Darnell. She has a child mm-hmm. whom she's there for solidly. There's, it's not even like, like she's not there for him and she neglects him in favor of her friends. It's not like that at all. She's absolutely a fantastic mother. And, um, but she still has so much going in her, going on inside of her that it's going in her. That sounded awful. Um, <laughs> Um, she has so much going on in her inner world, and it's just really cool to see how um, she looks out for herself. She's very smart about that. When the opening for being Will's assistant shows up, she pounces on it. And that was one of those situations where Joan was just completely out of line and telling her that, no, you can't take that job because then where does that leave me? It's like, uh, I don't know, but it leaves me with like pretty much double what I'm making mm-hmm. now, and I have a child. Remember that? Um, and then she sets off to write her book, and like that—that's one of the times where I was like, okay, now they're just writing Maya really poorly because they had her neglecting her duties as William's assistant in favor of being an authoress. <laughs> And I, I just thought that was so out of character for Maya because Maya has been, you know, she she she's flighty sometimes, but she gets the job done. Mm-hmm. You know, there was nothing um, to indicate that she wasn't a good assistant for Joan. So suddenly she's like an awful assistant for for William. That that just didn't make any sense to me. Um, and you know, there was that unfortunate thing with her. Um, having that flirtation with Stan that leads to the end of her marriage, which it just, it hurt my heart so much. I thought she and Darnell were just so perfect together. They were such a wonderful couple and I was rooting for them so hard the entire show. And I was so glad when in the end they got back together, they had that cheesy Vegas ceremony with, you know, (laughs) Elvis marrying them through a window. (laughs) It was so cute. Um, But as consistently the only adult in the room. She, you know, she finally gets her husband back and immediately when things start to, um, to kind of fall out of place, she puts Jabari first. And the first time there, that there's an issue between her and Darnell is when Darnell is making all of these executive decisions without taking into consideration how Jabari's going to feel about them. Mm-hmm. And so she puts her son first and she says, no, we're not going to, because they, they, they were living in a one bedroom. Yeah. And Darnell wanted the bedroom for, for himself and for Maya. And Maya was thinking to herself, okay, my son has just witnessed the sudden collapse of um, his father's relationship with this other woman. Suddenly daddy and mommy are back together it's a lot for a kid to go through in such a short period of time. No, we're not taking away his room. 
you know, like, we'll figure it out. That's not what we're doing. And it's, it's an ongoing theme in the show that it doesn't matter what other cool things are happening or are on the horizon. Jabari always comes mm-hmm. first. Um, and in that same way, she carries that energy over to her friendships where she puts her friends on a very high pedestal, but still sets boundaries, which is one thing that nobody else, none of the other friends seemed to manage to do. There were just no boundaries boundaries among them, except for, for Maya. Maya's like, nope, you're not doing this. She doesn't have Lynn living with her indefinitely, unlike everybody else. <laughs> so I just have a lot of respect and love for for Maya. Yeah, I I agree. I agree with everything you said. I think she is the smartest person. She's the most loyal. She's the best mom. She's an amazing wife. Even with her little um, kissing another man, even with that, she's still the best wife because it's that's human. It's human to have feelings for someone else pop up. That doesn't mean you're going to destroy your marriage. That doesn't mean you're going to cheat. Um, but that's natural. That's only human nature. It doesn't make her an evil, awful person at all. Um, and I just, she's just real. She's just a really genuine person. She doesn't get wrapped up in a lot of the things that the other characters get wrapped up in. Um, and I think a lot of that is because she is a mother and she's so devoted to her son and really devoted to her son, but in a very healthy way. Um, and she also knows to give herself a little bit too, which I think is very hard. I mean, I'm not a mother, of course, but I think from what I've heard from my friends who are mothers, it's very hard to put yourself first in any situation after you have a kid. And she does that sometimes. And I think that's healthy and that's good to see. And at times she's even kind of a single mom. I mean, Darnell is always there, but she still is a single mom at times. And I, like I've said before, one of my biggest nitpicks is always the way single mothers are portrayed just because I was raised by one. And I love the way that she is portrayed in this because she's never, ever looked down upon, even though Joan might look down upon her at times, the show doesn't and the writers don't. And that makes a difference. That makes a big difference because she's such a good mom. To what you were saying about, you know, mothers, it it is a hard thing to remember that you are also a person and that Mm -hmm. you deserve a break and that you shouldn't feel bad for, for needing one and taking one. And I, I love that, you know, she goes off with her friends and has drinks with them and all of this and all that, but she always has a plan for Jabari. There's Mm -hmm. never a moment where she has Jabari unattended or not cared for, he always is the priority. Like that that one time when they go to Jamaica. Yeah. Um, and, and that was just a spur of the moment trip that she took. But it's not like she left Jabari in like an apartment with five bucks and a pizza, you know, like <laughs> yeah. he has a father, he has grandparents, he has, mm-hmm. you know, uncles and aunts and cousins of the wazoo. You know, she she made a plan for her son before she took off to to Jamaica. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I'm completely in awe of her and of of Golden Brooks for for the way that she played her. Yeah, because that that was she's a talented woman and she really makes Maya 
so so lovable mm-hmm. I mean she's not just because all of them are, are extremely beautiful but none of them are vapid yeah and it could have very easily gone up like and we'll get to Lynn in a bit but you know the way Lynn was portrayed what was written in the first season was awful and if they had written Maya like that oh I wouldn't have even bothered because you know, like what you were saying, every time that 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 there's a portrayal of a single of a single mom, you kind of enter with tenter hooks because you don't know how they're mm-hmm. going to approach it. And they they did right by Maya. Yeah, they really did, and and yeah, the the performance is really good too because there's um there's vulnerability there, there's strength and vulnerability, and love and um you know every kind of human emotion in her and there will, you know, I think in lesser hands, I think it really could have been easily written as this strong woman who doesn't take any crap from anybody. And that's all she is. And that's not all she is. And that's, what's so good about it is she's written with a lot of different layers. She's funny too. She's really funny. She's really sweet. She's really caring. Um, the mother thing is the big thing. And I, I don't mean that like that's all she is, but it's just so amazing to watch a really good mom who has a lot of different dimensions to her and also has good friendships. And um, and even though their relationship sometimes goes up and down with Darnell, I think they have a good relationship. I think she brings out something in Darnell that he doesn't have there. Like she brings out a lot of his sensitivity and his vulnerability because he can get wrapped up in that whole I'm a man. I'm going to be a man thing. (laughs) Um, And she can kind of bring out a little bit more of his tenderness there. And, um, and, and so I think they, they have a good balance together. They gel right together and a lot of relationships, especially a relationship that starts that young. It's very hard. I think to make that necessarily last because you're not a fully formed human being when you first get together and especially having a child young and all of that. So, I I like watching their relationship. I honestly thought when it was first on, I was like, oh, they're probably going to end up breaking up and then not getting back together. So I think it's interesting that they didn't do that and that they ended up back together. So they are kind of fit into that, you know, um, high school sweethearts type thing that actually lasts, you know, and doesn't go beyond. I I would love to know how the writers were considering their relationship when they were writing the show. Because mm-hmm. I, I wonder if their initial goal was to have them separated forever and um, and to have it be just a show about women looking for love, you know, yeah. like, and, and that's what it felt like when they were breaking up Darnell and Maya, that they, they needed her to date for her to be more interesting. I said, she's interesting enough. Like, what's your problem? But um, the chemistry was undeniable between the two actors and between the characters and just the the amount of love that Maya had for Darnell from the beginning of the show. And it wasn't like a a thing where um, it was love simply because she didn't know any better. It's like she deeply, deeply loved him. Mm -hmm. And I was so glad when they got them back together. I I thought that was like the best decision that the show made as far as relationships because they were just so perfect for each other. They were. And I, you know, it's weird. I had this weird thing for like 
I, I don't know why, but I think Vegas weddings, when they're done in the right way and it's not two people that are drunk and they just get married, but when it's two people that really love each other and want to get married anyway, there's something about Vegas weddings that is this weird thing where, because I'm actually really a romantic, but I think there's something kind of romantic about them. I don't know why, but I think there's something almost sweet and endearing about it because it's just like, it, well, it's, it's more an about the... Exactly. It's yeah, it's the moment. About, yeah. Let's mm-hmm. seize our love and run with yes. it. It's like we don't yeah. need all of the glitz and the glamour <laughs> and all the champagne and the you know thousands of dollars in catering. We, mm-hmm. We're just in love. Let's just do this together, just you and me. And that really is beautiful and, and special, if it's not mm-hmm. done in the most cheesy way. <laughs> <laughs> if it's not like when Ross and Rachel got married in Vegas. I mean, yeah. that wasn't. <laughs> but you know, that that's for our friends show. When I will eviscerate ross you were very ready to just like <laughs> attack ross with like pincers i hate ross <laughs> carla this may be the end of our friendship since, since carla has said she loves ross this may be the episode that ends our friendship <laughs> i think you know like, i have to look at the schedule after the the friends recording and see like how many episodes i'm gonna have to take my name off of Sorry, Meg, it looks like you're doing Superstore on your own. <laughs> I think Fred is actually pretty soon. I can't remember, but anyway. <laughs> um, but yeah, but I don't know why. I just have a thing for that. So I thought that was really sweet and cute, even though it's a drive through And even though it's the Elvis impersonator, I still thought it was sweet and cute. And it just really fit them, too. Um. And so I just, I just really liked their relationship and I just, I loved her. I, there's not anything bad I can say about her. I don't, I mean, even when she kissed another man, I still was, I wasn't mad at her. Um, yeah. I, and that's one honestly, thing that, that I've been thinking more about lately. And, and, you know, as, as I get older and as I see more in, interpretations of love mm-hmm. um, and what love really is versus this notion that we're fed from an early age that, um, that your loyalty must be constant and you must never have eyes for anybody else. It's like, that. that's not really realistic, you know? And I think that, and I'm saying this now as a theoretical, like if it actually happened to me, I don't know that I wouldn't bust out a chainsaw or something, but, <laughs> but I just don't think that an infidelity is necessarily the absolute end of a relationship. If, most of the relationship is solid. You know, like I'd certainly prefer my husband say to me, Hey, I'm having problems. Let's talk about this. Then, you know, go dipping his pen in another inkwell. But at the same time, like if either one of us were to develop like a sentimental attachment to somebody else, I would want it to be something that we can communicate our way through mm-hmm. as opposed to just being like, Nope, we're getting divorced. That's the end of the story. And I think that that's something also that when I'm watching a lot of TV shows now, I'm more forgiving of a character that strays if they are genuinely remorseful and if they make a real effort to um, to have better communication and to strengthen the relationship after the lapse. If it's something where the the partner who strays is kind of blasé about it or makes mm-hmm. excuses or whatever, then I'm like, well go to hell clearly you have some work to do on yourself and you're gonna be doing it by yourself buster (laughs) but just i I think that there are a lot of times when we put this ridiculous expectation on 
um, on people to act like anything but human. Especially with people living into like their 80s and 90s. Like, wow. You know, mm-hmm. few people happen. Yeah, and I think I think what that I think why that is is I think when you get older, your view on that changes. I think when you're in your twenties, it's like, uh, uh-uh, uh, you cheated on me, you're gone. Yeah. Um, but I think once you get into your upper thirties, <laughs> <laughs> even the mid thirties, but the upper thirties. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> say that from now on. <laughs> And you don't have the down 30s, although you can sort of feel the downer 30s. <laughs> um, oh my sorry, gosh, you drank your wine, wine over this. That. Sorry. I know. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, but I think, I think it really is an age thing because I remember seeing an interview with this couple that they were in their 30s. I think they were in their late 30s. And then another couple, they were in their 20s. And they had, and the couple in, the 20, in their 20s had just gotten married. Um, and I can't remember if the couple in the thirties had just gotten married or something. And they were talking that there were celebrity couples or something. And they asked that question. They said, if your spouse cheated on you, would that end the marriage? And the young couple said, both of them said yes. And the older couple both said, not necessarily. And the older couple said, that's because we're older. And they said, once you get older and you've been in a marriage longer, and also just if you're older, you view it differently. Um, and so you can view it where you can see how that might happen and how it might be better to try and work through it. So, yeah, well, like my husband and I say, it's like, well, I I already trained this one, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, I mean, that's what it comes down to. It's like, you've already put in so much work and effort Mm -hmm. into, um, into having this life together and into being this person that you are as part of this couple that it's like okay well do we really want to throw away all of this work or do we want to try to work through it and sometimes you can't sometimes you come to realize that no you've just grown too far apart you've become completely different people and that's fine too there is no right answer it's just whatever works best for you and your partner Mm -hmm. but yeah like to just say that's the end of it that's it I don't think that's really necessary or realistic yeah yeah exactly and yeah like I said that I think that is just an age thing too I think that really does that's one of those things that happens when you get older okay so let's talk about Lynn so what are your thoughts on Lynn Carla so Lynn the first season she was just there for comic relief and to deliver quick one-liners and to flail her arms as she ran out of the room which was just ridiculous like all you ever saw of lynn was her running out of a room like screaming something and like flailing like one of those animals at the the balloon animals that we talked about previously at at the car dealerships (laughs) and it was just like ridiculous like that's the only thing you thought about when you saw lynn and it's not really until season two that you really get to know her and you come to realize this yes she's flaky she's moochy and um She's not necessarily the most reliable person, but she's also deeply loving, very open-minded and open-hearted. Um, and the reason that she can't stick to a career or even a, a, a master's degree, it, the, the reason she has five master's, master's it's just she's very intelligent. 
And sometimes for for intelligent people who just love to learn, it's hard to just decide, okay, well, this is what I'm going to stick with because that's not how everybody everybody's mind works. And that should be okay. Like, you know, it's not necessarily like it makes you a better person to have the same career for 40, 50 years. Like, it doesn't make you superior to somebody who jumps careers that be four or five years. It just means that you're different and that's how it is. Um, I, I thought she was also very interesting because she she just had so much psychologically to overcome being um, knowing that she was adopted and that her mother or her parents were out of the picture and then having them suddenly come back in, particularly her mother, the way her, that her mother burst into her life, not for Lynn's sake, but for her own sake, which is the worst thing you can do, I think, to somebody that you've given up mm-hmm. is to come back and say, hi, I'm your parent, but I don't want to be your parent. And I'm just kind of here as an anthropological exploration of what it must be like to be you. That was interesting. Bye. Like, don't bother doing that then. You know, like, Mm -hmm. she was perfectly happy with her adoptive family and, and with her friends. She didn't need the added trauma of being abandoned again by her birth mother. And then when she meets her, her birth father... Um, her biological father that you know I thought that that was wonderful the way that she was received by by him and his family because um he the the way that that he was that he left the picture was really gross where um the mother's family paid him off to walk away and I think that way that, that they kind of, you know, brought it back so that he wasn't so awful was really nice because he, he did seem like a nice guy and she got to know her her brothers and that was mm-hmm. I think lovely. Um but so yeah, so so Lynn had just a lot of abandonment stuff going on. She had she grew up in a world where she was the only black person anywhere. Like when she was talking to her sister about, you know, like um, how many black people were in our neighborhood? How many black people were in our school? And both times, Lynn says, I was the only one. And and that's just really awful that her parents didn't bother to do the homework to help her feel her place in the world. Um, so, so, you know, it's all of these things cobbled together that make Lynn who she is. Um, she's also just, she is absolutely flaky. Like, that's not to say that, that that's, you know, she doesn't have major character flaws because she does. Um, the amount of times that she just picks up a project and, and drops it, even with, when other people are attached or other people are being let down because she steps away from something. Um, the way that she frankly uses her, uses her friends, because the, the dynamic that especially she and Joan have is pretty awful where Lynn constantly takes advantage of Joan's um, need to nurture, mm-hmm. and I and I will say also that that it's not strictly a matter of Joan being taken advantage of. It's that 
Joan also doesn't put firm boundaries because there's a very big difference between being a nice person and being a doormat. And Joan is absolutely a doormat. She doesn't stand up to people because she doesn't want to be rejected by them. And she even said said as much in one of the episodes that she, um, when she's talking to her therapist, mm-hmm. she doesn't want to say no to her friends because she's worried that they won't like her anymore, that they'll stop coming around. Um, but I, I think that that's one of those things with with Joan and Lynn where Lynn exploits that. And even with Tony, who is, you know, who's not the most soft-hearted person by any means, she takes advantage of, of Tony whenever she can, to the point that they have to, to save that intervention. Yep. Yeah. And basically <laughs> cut her off and it doesn't hold. But, um, but she does have a very interesting life and life story because, I mean, who, if I had to sit down next to somebody and just talk to them at a bar just randomly I would probably pick Lynn because she has the most interesting stories to tell um, and then I would run away from her and hope that she didn't catch my name and that she didn't like have any of my social media handles because then she tried to you know live on my couch I mean you could totally see it right yes like yes. I was nice to this girl at a bar so now she's followed me home yes yes well, I mean, she has a lot. She she um, leaps before she looks very much, mm-hmm. um, you know, but I actually have a really big soft spot for her in just certain areas. I do think she um, it does leech off her friends a lot. Uh, her dynamic with Joan is unhealthy um, because, you know, as selfish as Joan can be, she also, like you said, can be a doormat and especially with Lynn. But I have a soft spot for Lynn because um, I think Lynn, at her heart, she's really like an artist. And she doesn't until later when she starts singing and, and, her, her, and everything like that. And I, I love the music she sings. I love the song she sings because that's totally my kind of jam. Um, and so I think once she finds that, she kind of finds a purpose. But I think that's her whole thing is she's an artist, but she doesn't know where to put that energy into she doesn't know what to put it into and sometimes when you're an artist and you're an artist so I'm sure you can relate to that where you don't know sometimes where you fit in in the world because it's like you have to kind of be an adult but yet you're an artist and you want to be just an artist and you want to just live whatever that life is absolutely yeah and I think that's where she is and I think that's why she keeps going back to school and not only because she's really smart but also because she doesn't know where to put that you know sometimes she's making stuff sometimes she's writing she's doing this she doesn't know what she wants to do except for that she wants to be an artist of some kind some sort and I think some of it is she's glamorized in her mind what it means to be an artist and that if you're an artist, it means you're just not conforming to anything. So not conforming to anything means not getting a regular job. It means not having a regular income, which isn't true, but that's the way she's viewing it. So she internalizes that. And of course, a lot of the abandonment stuff and all that kind of jazz, I can I can definitely relate to that. I mean, you know, my dad was actually very excited to become a dad, a, a father. And he wanted to marry my mom. And my mom's like, are you kidding me? We we barely know each other and we have nothing in common except for jazz, <laughs> except for love of jazz music. <laughs> and I mean, we can't, you know, we're not going to build a life off of that. That just wouldn't be smart. And then right around the same time, my dad met the love of his life. 
the absolute love of his life. Um, but he met her, and at the time, she was like, okay, I don't want to have anything to do with a baby. So you either choose me or you choose to be a father. And then he left. And then he came back to my life when I was five. So I understand with the whole thing with being paid off. And, um, you know, it is that feeling of like, how could you choose someone else over your own child? Or how could you choose something else? How could you choose money? Money is even more. I mean, how could you choose money over your child? That's even worse. Um, but I do like that he wasn't villainized necessarily when he came back into her life. Cause you normally that wouldn't be the case. And I think for her, she's just always looking for a place to belong. And she's just always looking for home because she never really felt like she belonged anywhere. And I think that also plays into her flightiness and I'm not excusing at all her mooching off of people or anything like that, but I just have a real soft spot for her because of that stuff and I love the way she dresses. Just so yes. you know, I love the way she dresses. I'm of always everybody. Like, oh, she my had God. like. <laughs> yeah. I love everybody's fashion and how specific it is to them. But Lynn's wardrobe was what I mm -hmm. really envied because she had like all of these flowy things, and especially like when she would wear something um, uh, with no uh, straps or anything, and mm -hmm. then with like a cape over it and it was like draped on one side and it looked amazing and the boots oh yeah i just know everything everything <laughs> amazing wardrobe yes and even though her flailing arms was annoying it was still like <laughs> to have those arms her arms were amazing i'm just gonna say yes. so graceful and beautiful as they're flailing about yeah, but she was an interesting character because she was even um, – she was fluid in basically everything. I mean, fluid in her sexuality. She was um, – you know, she didn't have any – I mean, I don't know – I don't know what your thoughts would be about, like, would you consider her bi or would you consider her to even be potentially asexual – I mean, not asexual, sorry, pansexual? I mean, I don't know what your thoughts would be on that, Carla, because I was just wondering that. Yeah, like, I, I don't I don't even know because she – uh, I, I think like it's like season four that she swears she's straight. Oh, I remember when when she was working at the sushi restaurant and the the daughter of the owner tries to flirt with her mm -hmm. and Lynn's like, no, I'm I'm straight. Like I'm I'm very sexually liberated, but I'm definitely straight. And then like a season and a half later, she meets Jennifer. Is it Jennifer? I forget. I can't remember the the one who's going to kill herself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and suddenly embarks in this relationship with her and then discovers that, oh, hey, maybe I'm not straight. And she comes to terms with that. Um, so I, I, I don't know. But I think it's great that she was open to, um, to exploring that and not just shutting the door on it because she had said for so long that she was straight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and that's what I appreciated about her character was her character was completely open-minded and completely fluid in everything. Um, and she also was just very vulnerable, uh, very sensitive. Um, yeah, but I mean, she did have problems, of course. I mean, her mooching off her friends and her not realizing that, yeah, you can be, you can rebel against the norm and still earn money. I mean, <laughs> you kind of, unfortunately, yeah. with the way our society is built, you can't really do that. I mean, that's capitalism, baby. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And unfortunately, we don't 
we don't live in a society where, you know, you're going to make money just doing what you want to do necessarily, sadly. Um, so you have to find that balance there and find how that works. But yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's move on then to Tony. So what are your thoughts on Tony? The When I first watched Girlfriends, I couldn't stand Tony. And, um, you know, she's she's just unbelievably selfish and narcissistic and completely full of herself and her own self-importance, constantly putting people down, particularly Maya. And she goes on with, with this throughout the show, even after she and Maya become good friends. And so, you know, like I rewatched it and I was like, you know, maybe there's something about Tony that I didn't get the first time. And I was like, nope, I was completely right. This is who she is. She's just an awful person. And and she's, you know, you, you want to talk about toxic. Tony was absolutely the most toxic character on this show. Her dynamic with, with Joan was just awful because she was constantly, constantly taking Joan for granted and... Um, putting a lot more on Joan than she than she ever should have, and like I said before, you know Joan. She had many times when she fell down on the job of being a good friend, um, but even though she completely screwed Tony over on two of the biggest moments of her life, cumulatively, Tony was just worse with everybody, everybody in her path was unimportant Mm -hmm. if Tony wanted something different. There was no man who was not disposable. Even Todd, when she comes back begging and pleading, it's about her and not about the relationship. It's about her ego and her feeling, you know, she, she reveals that she's pregnant. So it's not even necessarily about their relationship or her love for him. It's that also, by the way, we had this baby coming Mm -hmm. and, you know, like, after even after Morgan is born, she's still unbelievably selfish, self-centered, and I think that's um, that's definitely a trait in her. But I also feel like that that has to be on the writers to some degree because I think that they just didn't know how to write Tony, so they just stuck with this very one-note thing. And you know, if, if there's, I I would wonder if maybe that's what. Jill Marie Jones was struggling against when she decided mm-hmm. that she wanted to move on. It's that Tony just never grew up. She, of all of the characters, she's the one who grew the least. She's the one who just stayed awful throughout the series. Um, and you know, I was rooting early on for for Joan to just ditch her because I, I was like, <laughs> you don't need friends like that. And the thing is, like, I've had friends like that. I've had friends mm-hmm. who put themselves above everything else who um, everything is a contest for them. If you have something more than they have, then suddenly you're their enemy and you're not worth their time. Um, and I, I've ditched friendships like that. And I was rooting for Joan to do the same. And when I was watching this show, like I was going through something similar with one of my now former friends. And I was kind of looking to Joan to have the strength to walk away from that. And she never did. And then when I did, I was like, oh, my gosh, am I more grown up than Joan now? (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, as far as, like, good things to say about Tony, like, I'm really struggling because I want to feel like there's more to her. And I I just can't come up with really much of anything because she was just so superficial. 
Um, but you know, I, I think that that's uh, it's definitely a feeling. I, I failing I feel on the writer's part because Jill Marie Jones could have played anything that they threw her way because she has she has so much depth. You could you could definitely see her um, see that in her in the tougher moments with her and Todd in moments where she breaks down and has real, you know, moments of truth with the Mm -hmm. girlfriends and where um, there's, there's so much to the character that I think was left on the table and very seldom did they really explore the deeper parts of Tony. And I think that there were definitely places to go and they just didn't go there. Um, But if there's one thing that I will always be grateful to Tony for is that she had that moment where she had the the divas thing at her bachelorette party where yeah. where they all had to wear wigs <laughs> and um, and become like a diva uh-huh. and then maya maya was angela bassett oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> and she did like such an awesome angela bassett impression mm-hmm. and that was hilarious and fantastic and i'm so glad that that was one of tony's things but i mean i, I just she was so awful and Jill Marie Jones should have been given better to work with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, I really wanted to love Tony. I absolutely did. But I, I end up loving the people around her and kind of being like, I guess Tony's there too. And even yeah. with all of that, it says a lot that the quality of the show dropped after she left. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. even though I can't stand Tony, when she left, the show went downhill. Yeah, it's very interesting to look at that because I agree with everything you've said. I mean, even, you know, after she gave birth to her daughter and she was like, okay, we're going to divorce. I want to divorce you. And the way she did that was so cold. And it was like almost yeah. like she was just like, I'm done with you. You're gross. You disgust me. It was almost like she was disgusted with him. And I'm like, and he's like so happy to be there and holding his daughter. And she's just like, oh, can you just go away? And it's just like, right. and I'm like, Dude, I mean, I understand if you're falling out of love with him, but it's kind of like you wanted him as long as he was serving you. And then now that maybe you feel like he's not serving your purpose. I don't know what that was, but and that's she would do that all the time. She's like, it's my world and I'm just letting you play in it for as long as I want you to. And then when I'm done having you play in my world, I'm going to say bye bye. But it is interesting, though, that you would think with a character like that. That with her gone, it would improve the show. And you'd be like, oh, good. This character that really is pretty thinly written compared to everybody else. But then she's gone and it's like this big hole is left. It's a very interesting thing. Yeah. <laughs> like you're like, oh, wait, maybe I did. I didn't really necessarily like her, but maybe she was necessary for the whole show to kind of function. Right. Yeah. It's and really that's how thing. you can really tell that it's a writer thing. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I think a, a better writing could have filled that gap and could have. Um, improve the dynamic in such a way where you're not left feeling this gap. And I'm not saying yeah. that that you shouldn't have been left um, some space to grieve Tony's loss because absolutely, as a fan, you know you're used to this foursome and you've come you've become attached to all of them, even though Tony is so awful. Mm-hmm. But the fact that they couldn't even take that and tighten up the story to really um, 
bring out the great aspects of this relationship between the remaining three. That really says a lot about, first of all, you let an awesome talent go. And second of all, like, what are you even doing with your writing? Like, you've got really sloppy and lazy. Like, come on. And this is why, you know, like, when I when I was doing my research for for this episode, and I looked in several sites to see what people said were their favorite seasons of Girlfriends. And it was consistently, like, two, three, even four. And almost nobody said seven or eight, mm-hmm. you know. Um, people even brought up six as being a really good season because you had so much meaty stuff in there. Um, and you absolutely did. But seven and eight, other than, than a few episodes and storylines, were nowhere near as good. And I think they yeah. just really got sloppy. Nobody brings up one, by the way, because one was pretty awful. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering that. Was like... Yeah, one. And, and you know what? Like, again, I watched it from the beginning. I don't know how I managed to, like, make it through season one and stay a fan. But somehow I did. It must have been the chemistry <laughs> between the characters because the writing was not there. Yeah. Well, and I think I think that's true, though, that sometimes you'll start a show and you'll be like, and you don't even think about it. And you're like, I just like these actors and I like the characters. And then when you go back and you watch it after it's improved with the other seasons, it's like, wow, they're really lucky that I stayed. <laughs> yes. There are so many shows where you go back and you watch and you're like, whoa. <laughs> yep. Yep. A, a lot of shows like that. Yeah. Honestly, it's kind of sad that how many shows are like that. And yet yes. we still keep, it's and weird. Yet we still it's watch a weird them. thing. It's a really well, weird thing. We're suckers and we just don't really we'll stick with something if we like an element of it and you know what i think that's yes. perfectly solid and sound mm-hmm. i'm gonna i'm gonna go ahead and stick by that i agree well and I, like i'm one of the few people that i don't really like season one of supernatural i think it's cheesy i don't think it's scary i know a lot of people think it's scary i don't think it's scary at all and maybe it's because i'm a horror person and i'm like this isn't scary you think um, this is scary <laughs> yeah, i know have you, you watched, scary. have you watched audition i mean <laughs> i mean come on you'll never look at a trash bag the same way again have you watched have you watched audition by the way no but i guess i'm gonna have to audition is one of those you can really at least for me only watch once um but it is absolutely terrifying and there's a scene with just you see this garbage bag and then something happens and it's absolutely one of the most terrifying is things. It as scary as slacks. <laughs> I, I really wanted to accentuate that double X at the end there. You really need to watch that movie. That movie is so much fun. <laughs> I will watch it through my subscription with Shudder. <laughs> yes, we got a Shudder mention in. <laughs> Actually, I think you can watch Audition on Shutter, <laughs> or at least it was on there for a while. I don't know if it's still on there. So I will have to look for it on Shutter <laughs> and get over your. Yes, it's it, you're gonna have to read subtitles. Or whatever. Oh no, uh, not bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, if you watch it, let me know because it's a really interesting movie. It doesn't get to the horror part until a little bit into it. You kind of feel like you're watching a romantic comedy in the beginning in a way um Ooh, it, i like that really dark it's a really dark movie <laughs> but it's a really good movie anyway but but i was that way about the first season of supernatural and the only reason i stayed was because of dean winchester i mean if i didn't right. like that character i stayed because i didn't really 
care for Sam Winchester and I didn't really care for that that performance. <laughs> I don't want to get that I agree that. with you, but <laughs> I agree with you. Um, but it is funny how that how that happens. So, well, let's talk about William. I want to talk about William. So, what are your thoughts on on William, Carla? You know, I loved William. I thought he was first of all, Reggie Hayes is just so funny. He can deliver even the most cheesy line, and William gets like cheesy, cheesy lines, <laughs> and even some creepy lines. But he he delivers them, and and, and it's like endearing in a way, and yet. Watching it back now, I'm like, God, William's kind of awful. Because <laughs> constantly, constantly, he's like, the problem with you women. And I, I don't know how many times I had to hear that. And I was like, the problem with you, William, is that you keep saying the problem with you women. He's mm-hmm. constantly like, well, first of all, there's a lot of homophobia there. There is so much um, misogyny mm-hmm. in there. And the his approach to just everything where he feels like he has to um, be placating and, and, and just kind of play along to play the game, um, which, you know, that gets more complicated because he is a black man in a majority white workplace. And, you know, towards the end, he has a, a pregnant girlfriend and he's trying to just make things work for them. But still like, there's just so much sleaze to, to William and, I didn't pick up on it the first time that I that I watched it, and I just thought he was like really great. And you know, I was like, oh, I would love to have a friend like William. And I'm watching it again. I'm like, oh, thank God I never did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because wow, this guy is just not great. He's mm-hmm. not. If there's anything, is that he is generally a great friend. Like he's he he comes through, especially for Joan, a lot in ways that he doesn't necessarily have to. Or, you know, whatever. But he really comes through for all of them at some point or another. A lot. Um, but I just, you know, I I just couldn't get over just how much my view of him changed this time around. Um, and how I wouldn't want to be anywhere near somebody like him the way that, that he views women and the way that he views himself and, mm-hmm. and his relationships with them and, and um, what he thinks he deserves or is entitled to out of life and out of these relationships. Um, just, ah, uh, and I'm really sad about it because for all of these years, I had this image of William as being, just this wonderful guy who was goofy and funny and loving and sweet and um, just like the utter kind of nerd bud that you want in your corner. And then to go back and rewatch it and just feel utterly let down over and over. Cause it's, it's one thing, you know, cause I, you want these characters to grow. So I kept hoping for him to grow and he never did. He just always remained this way. And it was really heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, you know, like a piece of me died that day. Is <laughs> what it felt like. <laughs> <laughs> in, in, in the overdramatic memoir of my life. A piece of me died that I day. I was watching. I was watching <laughs> Girlfriends. And I, 
I stumbled upon the portrayal of William, and it just brushed up against my memories. And it died that thing. <laughs> I want to see that play. <laughs> the one woman play. Yeah, Carlos just me play. on the stage. And With now, a bonnet and like a shawl. Yeah. And now for the chapter where I discuss my rewatch of Girlfriends <laughs> and the day a piece of me died. <laughs> oh, William. Sweet <laughs> William. Why did you he have to betray me? He was the man of my dreams. And now, now, William, I can hardly stand to look at you. <laughs> I don't know why, why I went suddenly so- Southern Belle, but. You kind of went into the streetcar named Desire. Right, exactly. Exactly. Like, where does that even come from? Like, I guess all memoirs just have their, their Southern Belle portion is where I, my mind went. You could be out there. You could play every different character in Streetcar Named Desire <laughs> through different portions of your life. And you'll have that. No, yes. with the William one, you can do instead of Stella. William! <laughs> I like that. I'm stealing that. I, I'm, I'm writing that down for my memoir. You should. Yes, yes. <laughs> and then you're going to be on Broadway, Tony Awards, <laughs> and then you're going to be it's going to be adapted into a movie and it's yes. Oscars. And Angela Bassett <laughs> will have to play me. Yes. Or maybe even Golden Brooks playing Angela Bassett. I'll take that too. <laughs> playing Angela Bassett playing you. Yes. <laughs> it's the full circle right there. It's the full circle moment. We just called Carla. <laughs> First, it was our Grammy-nominated Blue Eggs, which we are going to be Grammy-nominated someday. <laughs> Clearly. I mean, how can we not with, with a name like Blue Eggs? I know. I and know. two hit songs under our belt. I know, man. Two hit songs. Can you believe this, people? Two hit songs. <laughs> we should, what our next single should be is all about the heartbreak about William. I mean, there is a lot we could yes. write there. William. <laughs> oh, sweet William. I thought you were a cool guy, but no. You were just a douche bro. And you've broken my heart. Oh, William. Oh, William Dan. Even your name makes me just scream William oh my gosh that was amazing and once again we have Tony <laughs> I was gonna say I was like aren't you glad that you that you decided to have a late night chat with me about girlfriends and only about girlfriends that's all we've been talking about, all we've been talking about. Yes. back to William <laughs> for the listeners out there all uh, three of you, as I have faith that someone other than our mom is still with us. Um, <laughs> so I agree. I mean, he's really creepy. There's a whole scene where um, uh, I can't I can't remember. Like you couldn't remember either um, the woman that Lynn ends up engaged to, and um, William's like outside their house because he wants to see them have sex, and it's so icky. It was so gross. Yes, and it's played for laughs and oh. yeah. Well, but but that was like a whole recurring theme in the nineties and two thousands. It's like, oh, you're a lesbian. Let me watch you get it on, and and it's just part of the the rampant homophobia that was in in media and still is in media a lot. That mm-hmm. you know, if it's two men, you have to automatically call it gross, 
and have that gay panic. If it's two women, you have to immediately sexualize it and make it male gazy and just really, really creepy. And there's just no other way to approach it according to to TV and film. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's just and I will say, you know, they had a couple of um, gay men, gay male characters in this show and I really hated the way they were portrayed. It was very much that flamer thing. And it was just so much of a stereotype and kind of icky. And uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't like that. And it was the same kind of thing. But yeah, William is very, very sexist, very homophobic. Um, you know, he's got a lot of insecurities. And I'm so, so glad that they didn't have, even though they played with it for a little bit, that they didn't actually have William and Joan get together. Because that would have yeah. been awful. <laughs> well, that's where I started kind of tuning out in the original run. And that, you know, when, when they got William and Joan together, it just cheapened their friendship. Like, I feel like, like, first of all, why can't TV shows just let people be platonic? Like, you know, mm-hmm. um, especially and pretty much exclusively because of, of the lack of representation of anything but heterosexual pairings. You know, like, um, I, I was kind of against uh, Mulder and Scully getting together because, and it wasn't because I didn't feel the chemistry because you could definitely feel the chemistry <laughs> but because I just really wanted friendship to win. I, I wanted it to be something where they where you can prove that you do have people who can just be friends and, and mm-hmm. there, there doesn't have to be like, you know anything else and then the mistake of having them get together in the first place and then the mistake of making the thing that, that that makes them incompatible be sex it's yeah that was it's like why did you bother in the first place getting them together why couldn't you have just kept them platonic friends it would have been so much better you know you had lynn hooking up with william early in the show and they managed to keep that platonic and they they, they managed to make it just strictly like sex buddies mm-hmm. and i thought that was really great like i really thought that that was fantastic that that you could have that you could prove that people can be just friends and that first of all that that women don't have to have sex strictly um for the with the end goal of marrying the dude and that you can have something where like the sex ends and the friendship continues mm-hmm. and then just completely undermine that with with Joan and William which yeah the friendship continues but it's like after several episodes of like torturous struggle to get them back in sync in a friendly way. It was just like unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I agree. It was just, and you know, I, I think both of us have had a lot of male friends in our life throughout our life where there was nothing sexual there. <laughs> we were just purely friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, that's the one thing that I think One Tree Hill did really well was having that friendship, having a male female friendship where it was never went there, like didn't even come close to going there. And I remember with the X Files, I do remember when that when um, they were first getting together, and I remember how opposed to that so many people were actually because they wanted it to just stay platonic and wanted it to be a friendship because. That is so rare that you see that where it doesn't end up to, where it doesn't end up going the route of a sexual relationship. 
Um, so it is nice to see that. And I know, you know, you know, since we both have had that in our lives, it's really nice to have male friends in your life where there isn't any yeah. of that sexual tension, where you're not like worried about, you know, do I look okay? Are they going to like me? Am I sexy enough? Am I this enough? Where you just have that friendship. Plus it's a different kind of friendship than it is with a woman. Um, you can talk about different things. You can get different, um, viewpoints on things so yeah so I yeah I thought that was so weird and it was just kind of it didn't make any sense for their characters they didn't have that kind of chemistry it just was kind of out of left field it was almost like I was wondering if maybe there was a group of people that really wanted that to happen and somehow they listened to them or something I feel like it must have been something like that because you know I, I feel like every show has has shippers you know even if it's a show where like why would anybody ship anybody together on this show? And yet they do. I, I really feel like, and, and I had read something um, while I was looking for articles on the show about how people saw chemistry. Oh, that they thought that William had a crush on Joan from season one. Hmm. And I was like, I mean, I guess, but you also had seasons two, three, and four where nothing happened between them and it was perfectly fine. And suddenly it's like William is declaring his love for Joan. And then Joan decides to pursue it. And it's just like, why? What was the point? They were perfectly good as friends. Mm -hmm. It really added a lot to the dynamic to have um, a random dude just floating in and out. Well, it didn't really add to the dynamic. It was just funny (laughs) because William was funny because Reggie Hayes is funny. Um, Because sincerely, the show could have just been the the four women and it would have been fine. Um, But yeah, like there was no real reason to pursue a romantic Mm -hmm. relationship between them. And I'm glad that 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 didn't become a permanent fixture. Yeah. Because, ew. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that would have been so. And, you know, when you first watch it, when that was starting to happen, I was like, oh, they're really going to do this, huh? It's really going to end up being about that, huh? And then, of course, it didn't. But like you said, I mean, the reason why was just kind of, I mean, the fact that they weren't sexually compatible. It just, that was weird. I don't know. That was a weird reason for them to not. (laughs) It really was. It's like, that's what you got. Like, it can't be because they realize that they have Mm -hmm. incompatibilities because of their personalities, because of their relationship styles. It's because they can't get it on. Yeah, it was a very weird reason to. Yeah, that was very yeah, weird. Yeah. Okay, well, the only other thing I had in my outline was talking about the fourth wall thing, which we've already talked about. Um, so I just want to ask you, is there anything else you want to make sure to talk about or anything else you wanted to bring up or anything else on the show? Yeah, just really briefly to mention that that Girlfriends was such an important show. Um, and and it, it's really kind of sad that every time that there's a show featuring black people that there has to be some importance attached to it that it can't just stand on its own and either succeed or fail on its own merit um but that's that's where we are and this show i think really helped people see um that black women could be could just be you know like they're just existing there having friendships and and being goofy together and having just ridiculous adventures and it it doesn't need to be any any deeper than that and 
the show did touch on a lot of very important topics. Mm-hmm. I feel like they, 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 you know, they had Lynn doing that documentary on AIDS and on single mothers. She did a separate documentary on that. And they touched on a lot of, you know, uh, there was miscarriage. There was, you know, issues with custody and single motherhood and um, a lot of very important topics just in general. But I, I just really loved at, at the age that I was at the time, seeing four black women just having these weird interactions and adventures together and the show not making it a point necessarily to point out constantly mm-hmm. that it's because they're black. Like they're going through these issues because they're black. It's like they're black and they're going through stuff. And that's that's all you really need to to think about it. And I, I just I, I can't tell you enough how important the show was to me. I'm 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 sure to a lot of people. Um, but that's that's something that that I don't think I could finish up this recording without mentioning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I'm glad I'm glad you said that because you know once again. Everybody deserves to see themselves represented as a fully fleshed out human being and a three-dimensional human being and not just, you know, a stereotype or just one thing, but as a human being. And everybody deserves to see themselves represented on screen. And it's sad that this, it's not a normal, that it didn't become like a normal thing. It's not at all. Like I'm trying to think of a show like this right now that's on network tv like that has like a right no more diverse cast that that is so sad is that it's a show that was so important and yet here we are you know 21 years after it first aired still fighting for the same kind of open and just unabashed representation in network television like we have to go to hbo to get insecure Mm -hmm. You know, like, we had to go to all of these great lengths to be able to see this. When 21 years, it was like a promise that that seemed so tangible. Where it's like, okay, well, now we have girlfriends. We can, we can look forward to so much more of this. And then you started to see less of it and less openly. Like, there was this article that I read that I immediately closed as soon as I, as I finished reading it and was just, like, laughing at it. From the year in which the show premiered um, in 2000. And it was talking about how the show was so tawdry and how it, it was trying so hard to be like Sex in the City, but it was just immoral and disgusting. And it's like, okay, Sex in the City was on HBO and it was a lot more mm-hmm. graphic and, and uh, more tawdry than Girlfriends could ever be, especially being on a network primetime yeah. schedule. And this is clearly about them being black women. Because none of the the accusations he leveled against um, girlfriends did he level against Sex in the City, and I'm like you have Samantha on Sex in the City, like I don't care how many people Lynn slept with, she's not going to beat Samantha. I'm sorry. So yeah. And the last word I would ever use to talk about this show is tawdry or like thank you sleazy. No. I mean. So yeah, I mean, that's definitely because yeah. I, I just feel like 
you know, there are so many shows in this and many even before that that talked openly about sex and about people having sex. And I think that too, um, it, it just says a lot how frequently when you're talking about black women, everything is sexualized mm-hmm. and everything is made to be about sex. And you know what? This show, yeah, it was about sex and it's about women having it. And what about it? Like, what's your problem with it? Oh, it's because they're black. Okay, well, okay, clearly that's your problem. It's not the fact that they're out there getting some. And it's part of it's part of who they are. I mean, it's like it's would be denying part of who they are, but that's not all yeah. of that's not everything that they are. Right. And it's like not if you tawdry, that's just so <laughs> I know. Exactly. It's it's like that 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 is definitely in a, not to stereotype here, but the the, the um, this was a writer from Utah for a Utah oh. outlet. Mm-hmm. So like that, that I felt like informed me a lot of what this guy was <laughs> and his angle. Um, but also the fact that this dude is bringing up constantly the comparison to sex in the city and yet never once putting sex in the city down and calling the, he, he used the, the word, like the word immoral and, just you know, oh, just so many things that I was, just, and like I said, you know, um, I ended up just closing the article and laughing because what else can I do? You know, like what am I going to do? Cry about mm-hmm. it at this point? You know, like I'm 42 years old. I've read a lot of articles like this. I've I've seen a lot of opinions like this when you're talking about black women, and you find any way you can to bring their joy down. It's like if if you can find a way to make it, um awful and sexual and how irresponsible these black women are and how you know oh this is just typical whatever it's like they're gonna do it and it's so obvious and so ridiculous that you know i i'm it's just uh par for the course and if you're not if you're gonna if you're not gonna call i mean comparatively sex in the city if you're going to call any show tawdry comparing the two, that's the show you'd call tawdry. And I'm not even going to use that. I mean, I'm not a sex in the city fan. I was never a fan of that show. Really. I watched the movie. I went to see the movie with my sister and, uh, cause she liked sex in the city, but I was never really into that show. And so I wouldn't necessarily even use that word though. But I think if you're going to call any of them between the two, you would it would definitely be Sex in the City because that was that was graphic and yeah. as soon as I've seen some of the stuff they did and talked about, I mean, comparatively, it's like not even in the same. I know, like Girlfriends <laughs> doesn't doesn't go to those lengths, and yeah, partly it was because it was a network show on mm-hmm. primetime, but it didn't need to. Yeah, but still, and I mean, I I really haven't read any, but I can't even. I mean, I can only imagine. I can only imagine what that writer would have said about a show like Insecure. Oh, well, oh my forget gosh. It. Forget <laughs> it. No, thank like... you. Not interested in that insight. No, but yeah. it, this is, you know, a lot of the times when it comes to to um, content by and for black audiences, um, I am looking for the insight of black writers. Because I, I can't really trust necessarily a, a white television critic to judge it on its own merits. 
and and that's really sad and disgusting that in 2021 i'm still parsing out um who i'm reading about content because you know like okay but you're you're a white dude so i don't really care about your opinion because you you i can't trust you to have one that isn't informed by your racism and misogyny um but one thing that I, that i also that i had forgotten to mention was that the show the executive executive producer was kelsey Grammer, which was so interesting to me because like this guy's like a republican he's conservative and it's like what is he doing producing and championing this show about single black women where it's mostly talking about sex and relationships and where it's so overall sex positive and mm-hmm. very pro-black and it was just very interesting and, and one of the I, I had there was a, a like a video interview but i don't really do video interviews so i just read the text <laughs> and the blurb but i know i just i, I can't if, if i can't read it then i'm like mm. it's like the, the tldr but for video but what the the excerpt that I read about it is that he said that that he decided to produce the show because he was tired of people talking about diversity and not doing enough to truly champion it and not putting their money where their mouth is, which I thought was like, what? And also pretty amazing because this show was the first thing that he executive produced. Like this was his, per- his per- first outing as a product as a producer. His second was the game, which is a, a spinoff of Girlfriends. So that it's like a state of shock. Like, like what Kelsey Grammer? But you know, however it came about, and again, it has like a lot of elements where I'm like, I wonder if Kelsey Grammer had had a, a hand at just how very Christian and how churchy a lot of these things were. I'm glad you brought that up because I actually meant to put that on the outline because I still, every time I would watch an episode rewatching, I'm like, oh yeah, Kelsey Grammer was <laughs> right. the producer. It's so I think bizarre. we just didn't want to believe it. Yeah, this is so bizarre. And when he showed up in that Thanksgiving episode I talked about, too, yeah. I was like, oh yeah, that's right. Like, you know, one of the producers. <laughs> okay, so the creator, um, Mara Brock Akil, who mm-hmm. is a black woman, so she had said at some point that he wasn't involved in like the day to day, like he wasn't deeply involved in the creative process. So, but you know, you do end up wondering, like, whoa, because it's like a total mind blowing thing to see yeah. Kelsey Grammer's name at the beginning of every episode. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess I gotta give give kudos to him for having the um, whatever it was that propelled him to to do this and to say there's not enough diversity and I'm going to actually do something about it because Mm -hmm. there's a lot of talk about diversity and its importance, but not enough people actually putting their money behind it. And it's just like, wow, well, dude, okay, good job on you there. Good. Yay. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm really glad that you, like I said, I'm glad you really, that you brought that up because I, you know, I kept thinking, I've got to add this to the outline because it's still so shocking to me every time you see his name. And I love that he said that, and that's the reason he did that, because it's true. Um, and that that goes to show you that because he is a conservative, he is a Republican, and it goes to show you that Hollywood, that's supposed to be composed of all these very liberal people who are going to be all about diversity, that it's not like that. 
and especially if you've got someone who is very conservative and is a Republican, you wouldn't instantly think Kelsey Grammer is going to be the first one to do this. It would never come right. to your mind. You'd be like, Frazier, he's going to be the one who's going to take up the mantle for diversity. <laughs> he's going to do it. So it's just so it's really interesting. And I love that he said that because it's true, because so many people, you know, it's the same thing with um, Black Lives Matter. You know, everybody had mm-hmm. the hashtag. Everybody had the black square. Everybody had that for a while. And then it just kind of disappeared. And it'll probably be the same thing with stop Asian hate. It's like right now that's the trendy thing to jump onto. And then, you know, once that trend is over, it's going to go away. The same thing with me too. Everything like that. It's just, it's like the movement. You can get behind the movement and look good and look good to your followers. And it, you know, it's, it's, and what it boils down to is that Imagine video that was done a year ago. Oh, God, that awful Imagine video. Oh, my God. It's hilarious to think about it now. You know, like, because last year when it came out, it was an absolute outrage. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and now just, I can just completely laugh at it because, you know, what possessed Gal Gadot to, to, to hit up her pal Kristen Wiig and then for them to, to be like, hey, I know what will really help the world is <laughs> if we, like, get all of our rich friends together in their mansions and, like, we put this together, this video set to, you know, but we have to do it to John Lennon's Imagine because that is the most touching <laughs> song ever. Yeah. And everybody jumped on this and was like, this is a good idea. What are they smoking out there? <laughs> because, wow. It's that whole living in your own little bubble there that I think ha- happens to a lot of people in Hollywood. Yeah. Not everybody. Yeah, whatever. But it does happen to a lot of people out there where it's like they're living in their own world and they forget the other people with the other people. <laughs> the, the real <laughs> world is what I meant yeah. to say. But what the, you know, other part of parts of the world, how they're living, you know, they're not everybody's yeah. living in a mansion and singing you know, imagine. <laughs> it was hilarious. Like some of these people were like in their bathrooms that are bigger than some people's houses. I know. And there it's like, we just want to relate to you, man. Like we feel your pain. <laughs> Let me just, you know, I, I'm going to have my nanny just put the kids <laughs> to bed. I'm going to tell my chef to make me a smoothie. And then I'm going to sing to you about my very relatable struggles. And we are going to be heroes. Because <laughs> I really think that's what they thought. They thought yeah. this would just like do something where, you know, whereas I think what John Krasinski did with the um, some good news well, yeah, thing, news. I think that was, that was a lot different because, mm-hmm. um, you know, you might you might be able to see it from the same kind of standpoint of like, OK, what am I going to do? But he actually would feature people who were struggling. Um, he was actually trying to do something to help. Um, it wasn't like that. It was different. And it actually brought a lot of joy to people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was a lot different was, than singing a And that was a sustained effort. That mm-hmm. was a sustained effort, which was also different. Because all they did was, like, sit together. And you know what? They probably, like, farmed it out to somebody. They were probably like, hey, do you have an intern who's good with, like, um, with stitching videos together? Cool. Here's a bunch of videos. Work your magic. Yeah, and it wasn't even well done. I mean, it's just like... <laughs> not by any means, not by any means. And meanwhile, John Krasinski is doing like an actual show and he's featuring things that uplift people, like genuinely uplift people and that really fed the soul 
And he did this, you know, week after week for a while until he went and sold it. Yeah, I know. I know. And I know a lot of people got mad at him. But yeah, read why he did all of that. It's actually I actually am okay with it. But but yeah, and I mean, like he did that whole prom thing and Mm -hmm. which I did. I mean, I dressed up and it was just I mean, it was just a really fun thing to do. And I would cry at almost every one I would watch. And I mean, that was sort of something where you saw someone going, okay, we're going to do something that's actually more important than just singing a song for two seconds. Yeah. And so that was, that was a good thing that came, came from it. So it's kind of that same kind of thing where, you know, if you're going to speak about this, if you have any kind of power, I really think it's important. If you have a voice and people are going to listen to your voice and you have any kind of power behind that voice, I think it is your responsibility to speak up about things and to do something about things. I think it just comes with, I just think, frankly, I just think it comes with the territory and that's. You know, I think it's I mean, your duty you, as a you human being. <laughs> you don't even understand how many charities I'm going to fund and support when Carla, the one woman <laughs> show, hits it big. I am going to be so charitable. You're not going to even, like, believe your eyes. You're going to be like, wow, Carla is so charitable. And I should have seen, seen it coming because she told me she would be that one day in my episode about girlfriends where we talked about girlfriends for, like, three minutes. And then I would everything else for an hour and a half. <laughs> I know. Okay, so we're going to go ahead and close out. And I'm just going to have Carla tell us where she can be found and where her podcast can be found. Carla. Thank you, Erin. I can be found on Twitter at Carlatemis, C-A-R-L-A-T-E-M-I-S. My website is also the same name, but .com. And the podcast that Meg and I co-host is called Bedwater Behead. And it's about character analysis and also drinking with your BFF while you FMK your favorite characters. You can find that anywhere that you get your podcasts and primarily on Twitter at BedWetBeheadPod. And this is Erin. You can follow me on Twitter at EAprilBeauty. The E and the A and the B are capitalized. Be sure to like the show on Facebook at Facebook.com slash It's a Fandom Thing Pod. On Twitter at Fandom Thing Pod. No, it's in that one. On Instagram at It's a Fandom Thing Pod. If you have any feedback, show notes, if you'd like to be an interview guest, Christian Bale, please feel free to reach out to us at It's a Fandom Thing Pod at gmail.com. <laughs> Go to our Twitter and you'll see a little bit of why we're mentioning Christian Bale. Um, but Hey, it comes up next week, okay? So next week, we are going to be back to the heavy topics and really heavy and very adult-themed. We're going to be talking about BDSM and media. So that's going to be an NSFW, not suitable for work, episode for sure. And then Carla's going to return and we're going to talk about Christian fucking Bale in American Psycho. Okay, so until next time, remember, it's a fandom thing, and Black Lives Matter, and stop Asian hate. Thank you again for listening to It's a Fandom Thing. Be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and follow us on all your favorite podcast platforms. Our logo was designed by Brooke Belly with cover art by Carla Temmies. Additional research was done by Megan Archuleta. Our Instagram and Facebook content producer and creator is Erin Amos, and our producer is Lila Tafola. I'm your host, Erin Marlowe, and remember, keep that fandom spirit alive.
It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.